Uh, Let's jump into our text this morning. Uh, If you want to jump in with me, you can flip to your Bibles. It's in Ephesians 5. We're going to read uh, verses 22 through 33. Again, this is Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 33. Read along with me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and as himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So throughout my years of ministry, uh, and particularly in Philadelphia, I've done a lot of premarital counseling. And actually, when, when I do premarital counseling, I, I do it uh, with my wife, Allison. Um, my wife and I have been married for 12 years. Um, I know for some of you out there, that seems like an incredibly short amount of time. For others of you, it seems like a long amount of time. Um, but in the demographics that we minister to, particularly in our Philadelphia churches, uh, incredibly young, uh, not many married folks, and people are just starting to get married. And so they look at us and see 12 years of marriage and think, wow, you guys have been married forever. Um, so it's good that Alice and I sit down together and do the premarital counseling. It gives us each opportunities uh, to c- connect with people in different ways. And on more than one occasion, uh, we've done this premarital counseling thing, and we'll sit across from a couple, and they are so in love with each other. Uh, they're so in love with each other, and they're sure that everything is going to go just smoothly. That they complement each other so well that they're never going to fight, they're never going to argue, they're going to communicate just perfectly with each other because they're so in love with each other. Alice and I exchange knowing glances and do our best to persuade this fledgling couple that marriage is good and it can be great, but it's also incredibly hard. There will be fights and anger and hurt feelings. Uh, There will be misunderstandings, and at times you just won't even want to be in the same room with each other. I can't help but think of the bumper sticker that I recently saw, again, in Germantown. It said in bold letters, marriage is finding that one special person that you can annoy the rest of your life. (laughs) Unfortunately, there is also uh, a certain cultural fantasy uh, that has evolved around marriage, for particularly for young folks. 
uh, for as they're thinking about marriage, there's this cultural fantasy that has, has grown up that provides unrealistic expectations. Expectations that can make the first year of marriage incredibly difficult. I, I recently read an article talking about marriage that said we, we should really uh, spend less of our time and energy and money celebrating just the wedding ceremony, but we should take that time and energy and money and celebrate our anniversaries. Celebrate the continuation of marriage, not just the very beginning. There are uh, certainly another side to avoid as well, another extreme to avoid. On the one side, the unrealistic cultural fantasy that everything is just going to be perfect when we get married. And then on the other side, the other extreme to avoid is that marriage is simply a, a loveless contract that is simply doomed to fail. That marriage will likely end in divorce and will leave families broken and hurt. As a, as a result of this pessimism that's one side of the extreme, the population in the United States continues to grow year after year. We keep getting more and more people in the U.S., but fewer and fewer people are choosing to marry. And also, the average age of marriage is getting older and older and older as people delay getting married because oftentimes they're scared of this pessimism that is brought in to the cultural narrative about marriage. So how do we avoid these two extremes, these extremes of thinking too low of marriage and thinking too high of marriage? Well, I say that we should turn to God's word to inform us about what marriage is all about. What does God say is the meaning of marriage? Uh, This morning, we're going to answer that question by looking at these verses from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. Uh, What is the purpose of marriage? What does this mean for husbands? What does this mean for wives? And also, what does this mean for people who aren't yet married or who aren't ever going to be married? So let's begin with what is the purpose of marriage? In our passage this morning in Ephesians 5, this isn't a passage about rights, about my rights. It's not about the ever-present me, myself, and I. This is a passage, it's, not, it's also not a passage about worth or identity, Uh, There are other passages in the Bible that talk about our worth and identity as sons and daughters of the high king of heaven. I think of uh, Galatians 3.28. But rather, this passage in front of us this morning, Ephesians 5, is about roles in marriage. And when they are properly lived out, they provide an example, a compelling picture of Christ and the church to the world. The beauty of Christ and the radiance of the church are on full display for all to see in the Christian marriage. So what is the purpose of marriage? Paul says it explicitly in verse 32, that it's a a profound mystery that's actually being revealed and has been revealed, namely that the oneness between husband and wife, the two becoming one flesh, is an everyday picture of the oneness between Christ and the church. Marriage is about glorifying Jesus. We Christians believe that all kinds of ordinary things, everyday things, point us to ultimate spiritual realities. That, that mundane things are holy when, when viewed through right eyes. We believe bread and wine, these elements before us, bread and wine point us to the body and blood of Jesus. We believe that, that water baptism is a picture of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. We believe that the human body is a picture of Jesus and the church. He's the head. We are the members of the body, the hands, the arms, the feet. 
marriage, like all of these other everyday things, like bread and wine, like the body, like baptism, it should drive us to look at and worship our Savior, King Jesus. I'm going to spend, actually, the rest of our time this morning uh, talking practically to, to directly to husbands and wives and to those who are not married. However, I want this purpose, this idea that, that marriage is about glorifying Jesus, that this idea must be at the forefront of our thinking as we look at these practical roles in marriage, the roles of husbands and wives. And preaching on marriage can, can never devolve into ten tips for a better marriage or five steps about being a better husband. The awe-inspiring mystery that our marriages are about Jesus and his church must undergird, undergird all of our thoughts about this subject. So, friends, what does this mean for husbands specifically, that all this is about Jesus, that our marriages uh, between husband and wife, the oneness there is a picture of the oneness between Jesus and the church? What does it mean for husbands? Paul says that husbands bear the weight of being compared to Christ in the relationship. Love. Paul tells husbands that to love, just like Christ loved the church, and that Jesus gave himself up for the church, and that Jesus' sacrificial ministry, that included giving up the heavenly glory to come down on earth and to walk amongst us, to serve us, to spend time washing the feet of of those who, who he was caring for, to care for the outcast, and to finally suffer on the cross on our behalf, that these are the marks of love that Jesus has for his church. This is the kind of self-sacrificial love, Jesus kind of love, that husbands are called to. Along with self-sacrificial love, Paul calls husbands to humble leadership. He says it this way. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In our modern world, this idea of husband headship may sound entirely out of touch. Um, In a few moments, I'm going to get into a little bit more what it means for wives, but here's what it means for husbands. You need to lead. Husbands, you need to lead. Uh, There's a, a continuum of sins when it comes to headship. On, on each end of this continuum, uh, there are extremes that we can fall off on one side or the other. If the middle is humble, Christ-like leadership, the extremes on either end of that are one, being completely passive. On the other side, domination. Husband passivity through abdication and avoidance of responsibility is probably the most common It's probably way more common than domination in our culture, in our society. But both are extremely harmful. Passivity on one side, domination on the other. Extreme passivity of the husband can be most acute in troubled marriages where wives complain to their husbands that they are not doing what the man is responsible to do. And the man is responding by going into a shell of non-responsiveness. A husband's abdication of authority is as unbiblical as his abuse of it. Passivity or not taking initiative in your marriage is a spiritual issue because underneath is a deep current that says, my needs, my needs are not getting met, so I am not going to meet your needs. That's a spiritually crippling and dangerous place to be. Husbands, your calling is to lead, not to be passive or abusive. 
Marriage is intended by God to be a partnership, a, a covenant between two people, husband and wife, and God. And this partnership, this covenant is for life, a, a, briefly, a brief daily meeting between the three where sincere and honest communication takes, takes place it is a wonderful place. It goes a long way to strengthening a joyful and loving partnership, a covenant for life. Husbands, lead your families into a life of prayer. I want to be honest with you this morning. Um, I'm okay at leading my children. I have two boys. Leading my children into prayer. I have a much harder time leading my wife into a life of prayer. On that continuum of passivity on one side and domination on the other, I lean towards passivity, uh, towards sinking away and retreating into myself. And there are times when I know that uh, Allison uh, and I need to pray together, and I still withdraw. I run away to, re- to you know, uh, various distractions of reading or TV or iPhone or, you know, work or whatever it is that can distract me from the spiritual reality that I need to pray with my wife. Honest, raw, longing prayer with your spouse is extremely intimate. Extremely intimate. And intimacy is hard for so many men, including myself. Uh, All right, that's getting a little too real. Um, Back to the text. Uh, Notice here in in verse 26, uh, Paul says that Christ gave himself up for the church, that he might actually sanctify her by washing of water by the word, so that he could present her to himself in all her radiance and all her beauty. All right, so that sounds pretty from Paul, right? But what's that mean? Let's uh, flesh that out a little bit. I think it means this. Husbands, if we are to love our wives like Jesus loves the church, then we need to saturate our homes with the Bible. And even more specifically, saturate our homes with the gospel. We should lead our family in loving God's word and living out the gospel in the family dynamic. Uh, A man named J. Robert McQuilkin uh, was a leading missionary and pastor and scholar in the 1950s and 1960s at the height of his career, became very well-respected. At the height of his career, he became president of Columbia International University. Unfortunately, after a few years into his presidency, his wife, his beloved wife, Marielle, uh, became ill with Alzheimer's disease. Dr. McWilkin knew something would have to be done. Uh, One day, uh, while he was at work at the university, uh, he heard his wife calling his name. She had walked all the way from their home to the campus, and she was wandering around, lost, calling out his name. Her feet were bleeding from the long walk. He knew something had to change. He had no desire, even though he was at the height of his career, he had no desire to place her into a home or to abdicate the responsibility of caring for her to somebody else. Dr. McWilkin wanted to take care of his wife. He wanted to love his wife. He resigned his presidency and lovingly cared for and served his wife until she passed away. This is an example of godly, self-sacrificial love of a husband for a wife. Leadership in the home that is self-serving, that makes wives feel worthless or degraded, is literally anti-Christ. Wives should feel loved, served, and cherished by their husbands. The path to Christian leadership in the home is always the way of the cross. It's the way of Jesus-like love. 
All right, so high calling for husbands, right? That husbands are to love like Jesus loved, to be self-sacrificial leaders like Jesus led. What does the text say to wives? What does this all mean for wives? Paul says plainly in verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If husband headship sounds out of place culturally today, wives submitting to their husbands sounds like straight-up abuse. Uh, culturally today, it, it just seems so different and odd for many people to think about a wife submitting to her husband. However, biblical submission never lessens the value or diminishes the place in the kingdom of God of the person who's doing the submitting. There are all kinds of examples of submission in Scripture. Uh, think about some of these different ones that we have. Uh, first of all, all Christians are called to submit to the government. Another example. All Christians are called to submit to your local leaders in the churches that you commit yourself to. Uh, kids are called to submit to their parents. And in fact, Jesus himself, King Jesus, the king of the universe, in John six thirty eight and 1 Corinthians 15, King Jesus submits himself to his heavenly father. In all of these examples, those people who are doing the submitting... And all of us at some point submit to somebody else. All of us who are doing the submitting, our worth is never diminished. Biblical submission always leads to flourishing relationships. It's when we sinfully distort submission and leadership that things get out of whack, that our relationships become harmful with each other. Just as there is a continuum of sin when it comes to male Headship in marriage, there's a continuum of sin for wives when it comes to submitting to their husbands. The two extremes in this case are, on one side, passivity again, total passivity on one end, and on the other, taking control, taking control, taking the reins of leadership on the other. On the one end, wives don't get to be a doormat who says nothing and only takes initiative when their husbands give them the nod. On the other extreme, wives shouldn't just take control of the family if the husband refuses to lead and is mired in passivity and inaction. In those cases, wives, you should actually confront your husbands for their lack of loving leadership and see how they respond. This is not nagging when it's done with the proper heart, with the goal of restoring this man to what he's called to do. This is calling your husband to be who God has called him to be. If he still refuses, if he still refuses to lovingly lead and serve your family, then it's time to start bringing in other people from the church. Uh, bring in your home meeting leader. Uh, bring in others. Bring in Pastor Matt into the conversation. Also, wives, you, you don't get to stop submitting if your husbands are failing as loving leaders. Wives should submit to their husbands whether they deserve submission or not. Notice that, clear, that Paul clearly says that you submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as to Jesus. Allow me to speak for a moment, uh, just briefly, uh, about abuse. Uh, if you are an abused woman, if your husband is on that domineering side, if it's mental or physical or other kinds of abuse, then you need to seek help. You need to talk with somebody. You need to talk with your home meeting leader. You need to reach out to Pastor Matt and the elders here. Getting help is not shirking your responsibility of submission. It's calling your husband to what he was called to be. 
Biblical submission is also not about suppressing your gifts. Uh, God has given you all gifts for the glory of the church. But rather than expressing those gifts for the glory of Christ in your marriage, sometimes we shirk that responsibility and withdraw our gifts and hide our gifts from each other. A wife who suppresses all comment or action or her gifts when a husband is mired in self-destructive or harmful sin is not practicing biblical submission. Biblical submission is always for the good of the other person and for the glory of Jesus, even if that good means calling them on their sin and their self-destructive patterns. Every couple amongst us, every married couple here, brings into the equation differing personalities and gifts. Um, And culturally, we all kind of pass down ideas from family to family and in our cultures uh, what the roles of marriage look like. However, biblically, we're not obligated to some simplistic set of rules that determine if you have a good marriage. Like who who washes the dishes or who takes out the trash or how many hours outside the home the spouse can work and not cross some kind of biblical line. Each spouse should be allowed to express the gifts that they've been giving, the gifts that they've been given, that God has given them in their marriage for the good of the other person. At the end of our passage this morning, Paul, uh, summarizing this whole teaching on husband and wives in verse 33, says this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The effect is to remind husbands that they must never abuse their authority, for by doing so, they would dehumanize their wife. At the same time, wives are told not to disregard submission but to give respect to their husbands so that they avoid robbing their husbands of their authority. Friends, marriage is hard work. It's not about me. It's not about my rights. Rather, it's all about sacrificial love, submission, communication, and intimacy. It's hard work, but it's also worthwhile work. And in the end, it all displays Christ in the church for all to see. Okay, I want to say a quick word to those of you here this morning who are not either husbands or wives. Um, I think there's going to be a a sermon in this series later for single people and about singleness and dating. But just briefly, I wanted to say in regards to this passage, uh, for single people, our our culture, especially Christian subculture, uh, tends to think of marriage as the norm in such a way that single people are relegated to second-class citizens. Our churches should never make those who are unmarried feel like they are somehow incomplete. To the contrary, as Paul showed with his words and also with his life, that not everyone is called to be married. In fact, uh, Paul's writing later suggests that singles can be more complete in some ways than those who are married because they're in tune with uh, the Lord, while those of us who are married are sometimes preoccupied with what Paul calls earthly responsibilities, the earthly responsibilities of marriage. Singleness, coupled with celibacy, is an incredibly honorable and high calling. Also, think for a moment about our passage this morning, this beautiful passage written by the Apostle Paul about the, the meaning of marriage. The Apostle Paul, by all accounts, when he wrote this passage, was unmarried. He was a single man. Single people can also learn about Christ in the church by observing 
the marriages of those around them in the church. They can observe the loving marriages, and they can also be amazing sources of love and encouragement to married people in your singleness. And also, for those of you who are divorced, I want to say this clearly. Holy Scripture says that God hates divorce. It does not say that God hates divorced people. God hates divorce, not divorced people. God hates divorce because of the pain involved in breaking a covenant and tearing two people apart who have become one flesh. If that's you this morning, if you are hurting because of divorce, in that place of pain, cry out to God. Find people in this community to talk to, to pray with, to encourage you. Make sure you're involved in the life of the community of this church. Friends, marriage is hard. It's hard for husbands who are called to lead and love like Jesus. It's hard for wives who are called to humbly submit and respect their husbands as to the Lord. It's hard for those whose marriages have fallen apart. So here's the bad news, good news. The bad news is that we have all, all of us husbands in the room, we all fail at loving our wives perfectly. Our wives can attest to this. We, those amongst us in the room who are wives, wives can all attest to the fact that it's incredibly hard and you fail sometimes at submitting and respecting your husbands perfectly. We are all in need of the gospel when we fail in our marriage. The bad news is that we fail, we sin against each other. The good news is that Jesus loves us, and the gospel is there for us. That Jesus lived the life we could not live. He died in our place. When we believe in Jesus, we are brought near to him. He in our place, and we are given his place, his righteousness credited to us, and we are called sons and daughters of the high king of heaven. If you, are, if you are here and you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus and this holy exchange and, and Jesus in your place and you in his, this is offered to you, a relationship with him. Freedom in Jesus is offered to you this morning. Believe in him. For Christians, for husbands and wives who are Christians, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. To confess our sins in marriage to God and to each other to find forgiveness, to offer forgiveness quickly, to not hold a record, an account of wrongs that the other person has done to us, but to seek to lovingly forgive, to have that attitude towards our spouses when they fail, and to repent quickly when we fail. My wife, Allison, recently recounted a story uh, from our marriage to me. Uh, We were talking about this, and um, it was about five years ago, I, I was personally working a whole bunch of hours. I was commuting long hours. I was working in marketing. Uh, my wife was also working and commuting long hours. We had uh, had we had two at the time. We had two very small kids, uh, and we were just incredibly overwhelmed with life circumstances. Uh, at the time, it was it was dark for both of us. But personally, I was depressed, and I was checked out. I was pulling away from my re- leadership responsibilities in the home. I remember I came home one Friday, and this is the story that she uh, reminded me of. I came home one Friday, and uh, she was determined. We were both extremely tired. She was determined to get the kids out, our two little kids at the time, out for a, a walk, a hike in nature somewhere. And I just refused. 
I refused to go on this hike with her. And she got upset about that specific thing, but she also called me out on my withdrawal, on my lack of loving, sacrificial leadership in our home. Honestly, I I didn't want to deal with it. At that point, I didn't want to deal with it ever. When she called me out on it, I kind of quickly said, I'm sorry, and I hoped that that would be enough and I could just walk away. But she, she's a bulldog. She kept at me. (laughs) You know, she wanted to hash it out, and we did. We stayed, we talked, we hashed it out. um, And I, I eventually came to the point where I was willing to repent honestly and wanted to deal with it. Uh, we cried. We both genuinely repented. Uh, we forgave each other. And we needed the gospel that day five years ago. We needed the grace of the gospel. We needed to extend each other that forgiveness and grace as well. That was a turning point for Allison and I. Uh, not that we have it all figured out or that we are uh, got it all together. We're by no means near perfect. But we're building a solid foundation of love and respect of leadership and submission, all based on the grounding of the gospel, and that our marriage is for the glorification of Jesus and not for ourselves. Jesus frees us to own up to our sins and our failures and to cry out for help when we need it most in our marriages. Friends, marriage is hard, but Jesus is so good to us. He loves us so much that he died for us, and he wants our marriages to reflect the beauty of the relationship that he has with his radiant bride, the church. Friends, let's pray. Help us, O Lord, that in your wounds we may find our safety, in your stripes our cure, in your pain our peace, in your cross our victory, in your resurrection our triumph, and be known fully in the glories of your eternal kingdom. Lord Jesus, teach us to base our identities in you and not in our marital status or in our abilities as husbands and wives. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying in our place, living the life that we could not live, and dying in sacrifice that we could not provide for ourselves. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, the perfect bridegroom, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the love story. You who deserve all praise and glory and majesty forever and ever. Amen.